You're listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. For more information, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk. Right, well, we're reading from the Bible, remembering, of course, that it's the Word of God. Philippians chapter 3. Beginning at verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, That too, God, will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. 
But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Let's just pray for Jamie as he comes to preach to us now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have freedom to worship and to study your word, the Bible. Thank you for Jamie and his consideration of this passage. Bless him as he speaks. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you will use his words to instruct and guide us and that we will be receptive to what you have to say to each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, John. I don't know what it was, but it just sounded really good. The way that you read that, I don't know if it was... Uh, no, it was just something very special about the way that you delivered that. Of course, as a fellow southerner, I would say that. Well, I'd like to focus, if I may, uh, looking from chapter uh, three this morning, looking at the first... Uh, 14 verses from chapter 3 and the, the topic today is looking at this word joy. Do we know what it means to be full of the Bible, what the Bible describes as as the joy from the Lord? I'm not talking about joy or happiness that the world offers or the world gives much like peace, talking about the joy that we can find in the Lord. Do you know the Lord's joy this morning? As C.S. Lewis put it like this, he said, There is too much somnity and intensity in dealing with sacred matters. Too much speaking in holy tones. The tragic loss in all this pious gamemanship is to the individual in the pew, who begins to feel that in the midst of this religious razzle-dazzle, he cannot get through to the Lord himself. We have learned that joy is more than a sense of the comic, more than earthly pleasure, and to a believer, even more than what we can call happiness. Joy is the enjoyment of God and the good things that come from the hand of God. If our new freedom in Christ is a piece of angel food cake, joy is the frosting. If the Bible gives us the wonderful words of life, joy supplies the music. If the way to heaven turns out to be an arduous, steep climb, joy sets up the chairlift. Brothers and sisters, as we, as we come this morning to what is really Paul starting to wrap up, but it's quite funny, isn't it, in, in, in true preacher fashion, as he, we come to these words at the beginning of chapter 3, he introduces his final section as, as finally... And yet he's only really halfway through. He's got another two chapters to go. It's very, uh, it's very reminiscent, isn't it, sometimes of when you hear a preacher say, now finally, and yet he has a lot more to say. And this is the case with Paul. He comes to these words, finally. And how does he, or what does he want us to focus on as he begins to wrap up, if you like? And the answer is a call to rejoice. 
Now, rejoice is a really strange comment to make, isn't it? Especially when you understand what's going on, what the context is here, what follows. And what follows is this. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. I wonder, what does Paul mean by this? Who are these, what my boys call, wranglers? Who are these wranglers that Paul is talking about here? And why is Paul concerned for the church he loves and then being derailed by these so-called wranglers, these evildoers? Well, at, at first glance, as you look through and as you read through with some urgency, you might be forgiven for thinking that they are just false teachers or, or perhaps they are Jewish teachers, but actually it's a lot more complex than that. We can see quite plainly that they are preachers of the circumcision, which is what might, might lead, may lead some people to think that they are they're Jewish teachers. Uh, Paul actually adds a lot more spice to the way in which, as you see from the text in, in, in how he words that. Yet they are not Jews. Jews typically don't proselytize others or evangelize others. They tended to, to keep more to themselves and protect their, their, their own. Evangelizing seems to be something that you would usually more associate with the early church and the Christians who went forth and proclaimed the gospel and told others about what it means to, to live as believers. So then these were Christians of the Judaizing, Judaizing faction recorded in the early church. And this faction opposed Paul's teaching in that they challenged Paul's claim as an apostle. They said, Paul, you know, you're not really an apostle. They elevated rather themselves as authoritative. And especially or notably, they boasted of their own Jewish heritage. The forefathers, the law, the prophets, the promises given to us, the Jews. We are God's chosen people. We are the apple of his eye. And the outward sign of this was, of course, circumcision. They considered themselves then to be the true children of Abraham. They took pride in that. And they leveraged it to their advantage by assuming positions of leadership and authority in the church. And so what you had was a group of people who were converted to Christ, yes. From their privileged background, their Jewish history, yes. But they had developed this sort of moralistic or, or religious pride or moral elitism. And the problem that we see there is one that still exists even today. We see it within organized religion and Christianity, do we not? And whether people claim to be, where people claim to be more spiritual than others, because, for example, in some denominations they speak in tongues or they prophesy and they claim to be more spiritual than others, or whether it's a, a sort of academic snobbery that you see in other types of traditional churches or even reform, reform circles like ours, there's this snobbery that takes place. This gospel, if you like, of, of works, of moral elitism. And for this Judaizing sect, instead of commending the richness of their heritage to the Gentiles, saying, you are now Israel with us, the promises are yours. 
This inheritance is yours too now. They were instead presenting what they had as to the Gentiles in some way superior because they were children of Abraham or claimed to be because of their lineage. And the remedy, they would say, was simple. Subjugate yourselves to A, B and C and you're in. Come along, share in our privileges. And ultimately, at the end of the day, what we see here is nothing new. We've seen it all along. A sense of pride, man's proud heart, religious pride that we see even today all around us. It's a gravitation back to doing things our own way, in our own strength, and a look at me, spirit. And ultimately, what lays at the heart of that is the human heart that is full of pride. And that's what this sect were doing. And as we know, the human heart is prone to wonder, as the great hymn goes, prone to doubt God's word, which is what made them all the more vulnerable. Hearing the people trying to lure them away back to being under the law, we doubt God's word. We say, did God really say this? And so then, with that in mind, the context that Paul is speaking to, and back to Paul's introduction, he says, rejoice. Despite all of this that's going on, he says, rejoice. Really is a strange word to say, isn't it, when you understand what's going on. Maybe be careful would be more suitable. Or maybe be on your guard, as he uses elsewhere. Be alert, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers around you. The apostle clearly is concerned about the situation. He says so in verse 1, doesn't he? To write the same things to you is no trouble for me, but it's safe for you that I talk about these things. Or verse 2, when he says, look out for the dogs or the evildoers, dogs being a term used of unclean Gentiles, but Paul here is speaking this derogatory term towards these Judaizers. So then why rejoice? Why should we rejoice? Because actually it's a topic that's pretty pertinent to us right now. My life, my walk with the Lord is shaky. I'm feeling derailed. There aren't Judaizers per se, but there are voices that are causing me to question what I've been told, much like the context here. How do we rejoice when things aren't going as we would have hoped for or as we would have planned for? Exactly what perhaps our situation today. How do we find joy when things are just all over the place? Well, my experience is that sometimes when we are going through the mill, literally when we are going through the mill, it is hard to see God's hand at work, isn't it? It is hard to see the providence of God when life is falling apart, when our foundations are shaken, when you're in the middle of a pandemic and everything just seems to be against you. It is hard to see the wood for the trees, as the saying goes. But, but through pain and refining, I've come to accept, and I've come to know, and I hope this is encouragement for you today, that whilst I cannot always see him, it doesn't mean that he is not there. Any more than the sun that can't be seen on a cloudy, miserable day. The sun is always there behind those clouds, those dark clouds and the rain. The sun is always there. It's still always shining brightly. 
But what's happening here and now causes me to not see it. But as I trust it's not gone anywhere and will eventually break forth even in Stockport, so I will trust that my God has not gone anywhere. That he is there. Even if he has allowed for this period of time for me to go through life's dark valley, I trust in his word and I trust that he is behind it and underneath it. My heart knows this to be true. One of my kids wrote in my Father's Day card this morning the following message. I won't tell you which one. Happy Father's Day. I love you no matter what you do to me. Isn't that charming? I'm not you know, comparing it exactly, but it's some sort of truth in that in a weird way, isn't it? Even though it's hard not to be mildly offended by it. That no matter, Lord, what you send, no matter what you bring my way, I love you. You are my good and perfect Father, and my heart trusts in you. And I believe... That whatever I go through, you have my best for, uh, you have the best for me. And you are a good God. So then, Paul isn't avoiding the issue. This is not speak of the things that aren't as if they are prosperity. It's grounded in reality. Reality that pain and suffering is real. It's part of the believer's journey. But behind it and underneath it, all is a God that truly does love and truly does care for his children. Have you come to that place, brothers and sisters, of knowing that God truly is in control? Do you see that as the bigger picture, even if right now it doesn't make sense? For Paul, he's able to say he does. He's able to say rejoice because he does know that whilst these people are having a go, God is still in control. Even when things aren't going as we had hoped for or planned, God is in control. And you can know and they can know and we can know his peace and joy in the storm. Therefore, rejoice. In fact, this isn't strictly the first time that Paul is summoning the Philippians to rejoice. He's done so several times already, hasn't he? Take chapter 1, verse 18, for example. In response to the gospel being preached, whether that's from good motives or questionable motives, Paul says, at least Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. I heard this week of another church that's planning on starting in Reddish. Rejoice. Rejoice. May the gospel be preached, and may Reddish, for example, be one for Jesus Christ. Or chapter 2, verse 17. Paul is locked up and he's facing death. It's about as bad as it gets. And he says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering, I rejoice. And you you should too. Not because losing someone is lovely or nice or easy, but because a life has been poured out for the glory of Christ the King. Lives have been impacted through a life poured out for Christ the King. This week also I attended a Thanksgiving service of a a dear old family friend that had such an impact on me as a child growing up. And hearing of how he lived his life as a Baptist minister, poured out his life for Jesus, and how lives were won and impacted for Jesus by his faithful witness and love was so inspirational to me. What a joy. 
a joy not in the fact that he died, he will be missed, he left the family behind. But in that his life was poured out for God, and that he is now in the presence of his master throughout all of eternity. In that I rejoice, and in that we rejoice at the loss of our loved ones, that new Christ. Or how about the second half of chapter 2? We see Paul rejoicing over Timothy's ministry and Epaphroditus' ministry as they are sent from Paul to strengthen and spread the work of the gospel. That's something to rejoice about, says Paul. Seeing the gospel go forth and change lives and change communities. Rejoice. It's all happening this week, but also this week. Third example. We heard that uh, Sam has uh, received the offer to go and take up the role of pastor down in pastor of one of the, uh, the services down in Derby. And you'll hear more about that, I'm sure, shortly. The call given to Sam and Anna to go from Stockport to Derby to bless the brothers and sisters there to crack on with the work of building God's kingdom. Does that mean we won't miss them? No, of course not. But like Paul... We rejoice that as he sent Epaphroditus and Timothy out for the sake of the gospel, they too, Sam and Anna and Fee and Liv, are going out for the sake of the gospel. And yes, we will miss them, but we rejoice. Brothers and sisters, God is at work. He is in control. And his plans cannot be stopped by any man, any well, well power, or by any pandemic. Isaiah 12:6 says, Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. We are crowned with joy. Christians are to be marked by joy, even in the midst of suffering. Gladness and joy, says Isaiah, will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. And if you're going through suffering or trials or in pain this morning, may the Lord grant you his joy, and may you know his presence today. And may it change your perspective that underneath and behind it all is a great and sovereign and loving Father. Okay, so back to the script. Paul has called his people to rejoice. It's not wishful thinking. It's not wishful thinking. Christians aren't egotistical, deluded maniacs. Their faith is grounded in something and it's grounded in the finished work of the risen Lord. Paul is perfectly aware of the dangerous situation on the ground. He knows what's going on. But his joy transcends what's going on down there because he knows that Jesus sits on the throne. He says that these religious dogs would have you look back. They would heap more on you than you can bear. But Christ's burden is light. It's freeing. There is freedom in Christ Jesus, not more subjugation to rules and rituals. That's why it says in verses 4 to 8. It says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I do. Paul says, if anyone can boast, it's me. 
I've been to the best Bible colleges, I've had the best teachers, I was top student, I've achieved the best degrees and the best grades. But actually, I don't boast in these things, I don't look back at these things and, and, and use them to present myself or pump myself up, puff myself up above others. In fact, I count them all as rubbish, dung in comparison to actually knowing Jesus, my Lord and my Saviour. Aren't these wonderful, encouraging words for us? Here he is, Paul, in prison, locked down, in his old age, still pressing on. Now, in my home, amongst my five children, I am, by my three older kids, despite only being 41, known as the old man at home. I only said it once because I locked them in a cupboard for three days without food after. I didn't really. I did not. I did not. <laughs> but of course, whilst the member, younger members amongst us here, and that's some of you here, I think I am old. I take solace in knowing that the older one members think I am young and I am in the prime of my life. <laughs> Don't you? Yeah. Thank you. And so to you, much more respectful, older people, wise people, going on in years, can I issue you with a challenge this morning? Keep pressing on. I say again, keep pressing on. Your work is not yet done. We, the, old, the younger ones, look to you and we need you. You, like Paul, are examples to us. What type of an example was Paul? Well, we've seen already he was someone that rejoiced to see the name of Jesus proclaimed. We've seen already that he was someone who rejoiced to see gospel unity and people sent out with the gospel. And we've seen already how he rejoiced to see lives poured out as he did himself for the ministry. He was deeply concerned for others before his own comfort. He wasn't looking to settle down and play boggle or watch Saturday night TV, mainly because they didn't have TV back then, but you get the point. But that doesn't mean these things are inherently bad, by the way. Just saying that, if you're watching TV and thinking, oh, Jamie said, I'm not saying that. Just saying that he, he had a goal. He had a focus. There was something that he lifted up and valued above all of these things. So what Paul actually gives to us this morning, regardless of our age, young or old, whatever our background, is an example. And shouldn't we, old and young alike, and those like me suffering from age dysphoria, want that to be said of us and for us to pass on that baton to others that example to others do you want that that example of your life to be passed on to others these things brought great joy to Paul and Paul here is calling believers to rejoice at what God is doing as the gospel goes forth how we can know joy by knowing God's hand is at work even in the mess Paul sorry, pardon me and Yet Paul is not finished even there. He's not just saying look to others and look at what God is going on to find joy at how they are blessed. 
the apostle has preached Christ, he has made him known, he has built up and he has sent out others, he has poured out his life. And yet, there is an even greater example he leaves us in his old age. This great apostle who hears from God, loves God, has been faithful to God. And yet, he still wants to know him more. More. So he's constantly concerned. This is the example for others. Seeing the gospel go forth, all of these wonderful, great things. And yet, here's the ultimate example for us. As someone that has been a Christian for many, many years, teaching others, hears from God, the great apostle, and he says, yet it's not enough. I want to know God more. I mean, this is literally the heart of the message, isn't it? The heart of the passage. We can spend time dissecting context and word usage and so on and so forth, and sometimes it's right to do so. But when we come to that same conclusion that Paul has already so plainly stated, I want to know Jesus more. The story, a pastor in California was given an invitation at the end of his Sunday morning message when a five-year-old boy sent in the invitation of the Holy Spirit to come down to the aisle. Not knowing if the boy was old enough to understand salvation, the pastor took him to his office and began to ask some theological questions. The more he questioned, the more confused the boy became. Finally, in exasperation, the little fellow stopped and innocently pleaded, Pastor Patterson, in your message this morning, you said that if I would just come and ask Jesus to save me, he would... Do you really mean it or not? The pastor said, I didn't ask him any more questions after that. He helped the boy to respond to God's invitation by inviting Jesus Christ to be his saviour. And sometimes we can just overcomplicate the message, can't we? Because the heart of it, what it's asking us, or what Paul is saying to us, listen, is that there is no greater joy Nothing so great as knowing Jesus our Lord. The passage, verse 10, doesn't say our goal is to know about him. That makes absolutely, sorry, that makes us no difference, says Charles Spurgeon, to the man who is ill and knows about the medicine that might have cured him. Or as John Bunyan puts it, the prisoner who knows and pines about freedom whilst moss grows on his eyelids from behind the bars. It's not just knowing about God, it's knowing him. Can you say with the apostle this morning, I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing, knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Or I consider the loss of all things that the Lord may that the Lord may help me to, to, to lay on the altar all of the things I've sought to put above Christ as, as dung in exchange for knowing and gaining Christ and being found in him. Is your goal like Paul to know him today? Are we making every effort to lay hold of the one who has taken hold of us? Never mind the past. I'm asking you about what you've done this, today. I'm asking you, how will you respond today to Christ's call through Paul to lay hold of him today, this morning, this very hour? Now, I hear no amens, but I wonder if anyone does feel the weight of what I'm saying today. 
to know Christ. He is the goal. Not rank, not religious badges, not certificates. Jesus, the goal and the centre of the gospel, who we aim to be like and who we aim to be with. Jesus. And here is the good news. That by his spirit and through his word, you can start that communion with him right now. The crux of the matter is, do you want to know him? Let's finish by reading the passage from verse 7 to 14 again. Brothers and sisters, hear the words of Paul. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. To have faith this morning says verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead verse 12 not that I have already obtained this or I am already perfect not but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own he's made you his own Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward, striving forward, pushing forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, do you know the Lord today? you know the joy to be found in living your life for him may these words be ours let's pray Church, I've said the the crux of the matter is this. You can remember anything. It's it's the call of God through, through Paul to us today. That we can know Christ. And the hearts respond to say, Lord, I want to know you more. It's an acknowledgement of everything that maybe is cluttered our lives and taking precedence over this call. And a plea for help. To which God happily responds. So in the stillness of our heart, I encourage you, that's you and you know that you're just not where you want to be and you know you want more of Christ. I would encourage you just to call out to him. Let it be your heart's cry this morning and confess your need for him. Because he is good and he is faithful. 
and he will respond. And so, Lord, we we come before you acknowledging our hunger for the living God. We pray that we, like Paul, would be an example. We pray that we, like Paul, would love to see the gospel go out and change lives. And we pray that we, like Paul, until the day when our time is finished on this earth, God willing, into old age, that we, like Paul, would say, to know Christ is gain. To know Christ is my greatest treasure. And we ask you for the the Spirit's help in these things. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You have been listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. To find out more about us, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk